0: Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. So last week, we discussed the general structure of the HRE. This week, we're going to discuss the religious makeup of the Holy, Ro- Holy Roman Empire, as as it was in 1618. Just as a heads up for everyone, I'm not a theologian. I have not studied religion in a, any, like, non-historical sense. I'm here to tell you what I know from my sources, what I know from my various years of studying history, so if I forget anything minorly wrong, or like, oh, but this religious right is so-and-so, that's not what I'm trying to get across. I just want people to understand the general framework so they can understand their upcoming religious conflict. And if you have any de- any detail you want to mention to me or anything like that, send me an email at 3 c o t at gmail.com or on the Facebook page. So, let's start with the Reformation and its major impact on re- the religious makeup of Europe at the time. So the church as we imagine it today is not the church of the 16th and 17th century. The church of that era was more or less were, were a political force and a landowner all across Europe. Famously, they held the territory called the Papal States and were kings in their own rights. The famous event that came along was Martin Luther posting his 95 theses on a church door, which probably didn't happen. It was most likely that he argued and was arguing complaining about you know, wanting to debate all the ideas of other religious authorities and stuff like that. The 19th Theses is a very good symbolic gesture, but realistically, that most likely didn't happen. Martin Luther had a few things he wanted to get out of the way with his complaints. His main problem was something called indulgences. Indulgences were basically pr- donations someone could give to the church in order to pray for their soul to get into heaven. Basically, if you when you died and you weren't virtuous enough but you weren't sinful you were put into limbo, which means you had you could work your way through good works into heaven. And the was de- indulgences would have priests pray for you and all that and th- which you get in faster. But as time went on, it got more and more expensive, and basically it turned into paying for expensive churches and and the like with the indulgence money, and a lot of people started seeing this as a problem. Martin Luther wasn't the first one to call this out. Dante Alighieri, a.k.a. the guy who wrote The Divine Comedy, Dante's Inferno, was already complaining about that stuff in his book. Another one of his complaints was he wanted the Bible translated into the common vernacular, which would have been like German, French, whatever country you were in. His complaint was by just having the church control the the Bible and how it was written, which was in Latin, that means no one else could read it. His his idea was if people can read the Bible, they can get their own understanding of God and their own relationship, which challenged the church's position on we control where religion goes and that whole deal. So he kind of ran into issues with the, the church on that. The funny thing is... We know in hindsight he made the process he he created the Reformation and the Protestant religion out of this. But at the time he just wanted a major he wanted a Reformation in the Catholic Church. He was a he was a monk, so he just wanted to see these changes done. But as time went on, but as time went on, he suddenly doubled down and started realizing no, this, I have to sort of make my own religion out of this. And eventually, and eventually, he got down and started you know writing a bible and in, in german at the time for so people could understand and with the help of the printing press which was a new invention at the time it started to spread like wildfire keep in mind it wasn't cheap into, as in today's book but it meant so more middle class what we call middle class so people could start afford reading and could read it previously books had to all be handmade and all that and they were super expensive but now they could be printed in much larger quantities so it was much easier to spread it as the decades passed Up until the time our war starts, which is 1618, the Protestant religion and its various sects and cults eventually came into being over time. As one of the key components of Protestantism was the understanding of the individual relationship between God and the individual. You didn't need a priest to mediate between you and God, in effect. Sure, they were needed in the Protestant religions, but they weren't strictly necessary anymore. Basically, it splintered out and created a, its own sort of minor sects, which, you know, we know a lot of them, you know, Baptists, Anabaptists and all those various things came out of these original groups. Anglicans, another famous one. Eventually, the church was forced to respond to this, and they realized just persecuting Protestants would not be effective. They realized they had to take some of the complaints into account and deal with them, which was done through the Council of Trent in 1547 to 1563, which was called the the Counter-Reformation, and which I will detail in a later section. So just keep that in mind, but we will get to that. The end result of the Reformation in the Holy Roman Empire was it created a lot of strife because each prince could have their own religion. People were fighting each other and squabbling politically and, and religiously over what is the correct religion. It got real messy and in many cases turned to violence. Eventually, it got to the point where the emperor had to step in and deal with this and try to create religious peace. He realized he couldn't subjugate the Protestants. There's too many of them. So he came up with something called the Peace of Augsburg in 1555, which is a very famous religious peace. In the words of the treaty, in order to bring the highly necessary peace to the holy Holy empire of the Germanic nation between the Roman imperial majesty and the electors, princes, and estates. Let neither his imperial majesty nor the electors, princes, etc. do any violence or any harm to any estate of the empire on, on account of the Augsburg Confession, but let them enjoy re- their religious belief, liturgy, ceremonies, as well as their, their estates and other rights and privileges in peace. And complete religious peace shall be obtained by Christian means of amity or under threat of punishment of the imperial ban. What this did was it allowed each prince or estate to determine what religion could be worshipped under their banner What was their and what their official religion was. It was tenuous, but it led to a measure of peace on a temporary basis, although, as I will show later, there was plenty of tension boiling underneath the surface to create problems as it went on. But till the war, it roughly held out. Unfortunately, after that, the war kind of exploded, and before, I don't know, if people aren't going to accuse me of this, I don't favor any of these religions. And all the religions I've listed and other various Christian faiths, they all committed war, what we call war crimes today. So they're all guilty of this stuff. So no one came out of this war looking good. I'll tell you that. Next up, we're going to cover the three main religions of the Holy Roman Empire, which was Catholicism lutheranism and calvinism on the catholic front which we will cover first we're not getting this i'm not covering the general religious beliefs of them but i'm going to more covering what the effects of the reformation was or the counter-reformation was the catholic religion we know today today many of the basis of it comes out of the counter-reformation the, the catholic religion of before was would have been different to uh, to us nowadays the counter-reformation which as mentioned before was created through the Council of Trent but in 1545 to 1563 was a major, which is the almost 20-year-long debate and sort of series of reforms that tried to deal with the issues that Protestantism created within Catholic territory and Europe in general. In the end, there's a lot of things that changed, but I'm going to focus on a couple main things that it did. The first thing it did was the creation of the Jesuits. you probably heard of the term Jesuits, like, I think I, th- I think Notre Dame or Notre Dame College is university or whatever, is a Jesuit school, which basically meant it's a religiously... It was created by Catholic educators, effectively. But the Jesuits were effectively a... Way to help better educate priests and make sure they were following the official doctrine of the church. Because previously, many priests would be corrupt; they'd be greedy; they'd take money, and the doctrine would be different. They were here to enforce the doctrine of the of the new Catholic Church, effectively in order to strengthen the unity within the church. They spread across Europe over the decades leading up to the war, expanding into several different orders, including the confessionals. Which, if you ever heard of confessors and stuff of like that, this came out of that era. The Confessors were the major Jesuit group of this time, and effectively what they did was they tried to get priests actively involved in the com- community. They tried to get them to talk to the various people, the part of their flock, get them more involved in the community, to, to create more unity among the people. Unfortunately, one problem the-, the Jesuits ran into as time went on was, especially in Northern Europe, there was a large Protestant sort of minority or majority, depending on the prince at the time, who would limit their influence. So they, could, they, many of them would have had schools in Protestant territory, but they would not have the same reach that a, if there was a Lutheran church or a Calvinist church in that area. The second thing they did was they strengthened the local saints in order to create a, again, a more unified Catholic identity within the people, which in the long run would create problems, but it basically was to strengthen the ties to the Catholic Church and tie it into the localness of their saints. So, I can't think of any local saints, but many local saints weren't necessarily officially recognized by the Church. They were tolerated by the Church, effectively, because they weren't harming anything and they kind of represented whatever they needed to for the people, you know. If you don't have to do anything to maintain power, you know, last but not least, they just generally just defined and strengthened the existing doctrines. I can't list any specific details, but effectively they they tried to make sure there was a much more unified ideology among the Catholic Church in the face of a new Christian religion. In summary, the Catholic Church passed along a few major reforms in order to try to streamline and solidify their image against the new up-and-coming faith of the Lutherans and the Calvinists and some of the other minor sects of Protestantism. Next up, we have... The Lutherans, which are still around in various forms and its descendants. The Lutherans are named after Martin Luther, obviously, and they had a few major changes that they brought along. The first major change was they got rid of most of the Catholic ceremony except for the baptism and the Eucharist. The Eucharist, if for those of you who don't know, is whenever you go to like a mass at church they give you the wine and bread and it turns into the body and blood of Christ when you eat it sort of thing, that's what the Eucharist is. So basically they got rid of all the ceremonies and the such and just was baptism in that. They also de-emphasized the role of priests to a certain extent. The priest was now no longer the central conduit to God. The people could have their own personal connections to God, especially as they came to under- read the Bible on their own and come to their own understanding of the of the Bible and the New Testament and the Old Testament, I guess too. They also disagreed on, with the Catholic Church on the fact that they threw out the whole good works idea, which was good works were if you did good works in life and in the afterlife, you could earn your spot in heaven. The Lutherans believed that only God could judge you and and send you to heaven. So if you were bad, you were bad, and if you're good and if you're good and deserve a spot in heaven, you you got into heaven. You could confess and do stuff like that, but there was no way you could earn a spot if you, God didn't judge you it could be harsh, but that's what they believed at the time. On the more structural aspect of the Lutherans, Lutherans were much more decentralized. There was a general sense of the priest should say certain things, and they had to deliver up to two hundred sermons per year, including two on Sunday. So sermons became the major driving force of Protestantism and Lutheranism. Also, due to this lack of formal structure compared to the Catholic Church, they also were many splinter churches. So there was Lutherans in certain parts of the Holy Roman Empire who had who could have. Some some different beliefs, which I don't know off the top of my head were the different beliefs they would have, but they would basically have different education tools, but as long as they maintained the rough, basic basic ideas, they could be part of the Lutheran Church. The other interesting aspect of the Lutheran Church is many lords and landowners would use the church as a way to hand out decrees and get information to the people under various means, usually through the priests, who they usually had a deal with, or not necessarily a deal, but they dealt with as a religious authority due to the descent authority and there was no overhead pope for Lutherans. so the Lutherans in summary, were a lo- more loosely c- connected individualistic religion well indiv- individualistic in a in a relativistic sense compared to the Catholics. They had a completely different belief structure, and for the most part the Lutherans would live up north so n- northern Germany. I'll post a map on my website. Northern Germany was mostly dominated by Lutherans and what will come to be Calvinists, too. Unlike South Roman Empire, which was mostly Catholic. Now, my favorite one to describe. Calvinism was a new religion that was formed in around 1560. It was created by John Calvin. G-E-A-N. Like, John. They call themselves the Reformed, and they focus on educating ministers to spread religion and maintain proper doctrine. The Calvinists were also heavily focused on stripping away imagery of God. It's the, it's the whole idolatry which was effectively in some circles of Christianity, especially as Protestantism rose, as Protestantism rose, were images of God and Jesus okay to put up? Was it sacrilege to put up an image of God? To so the Calvinists, the answer was yes. So, if you ever seen like congregational church or some church in New England or something like that, where it's very bare walls, not a, lot of, not a lot of gold decoration, that sort of deal. That comes out of Calvinism and many other Protestant faiths. But for now, we're just focused on, Pro- on the Calvinists. Another, fu- another funny thing, I, which I always find hilarious, was we mentioned the Eucharist earlier. Which was, when you ate the bread and wine, it turned into the blood and body of Jesus as you ingested it. The Calvinists found that a bit dis- disgusting. So, to them, I can understand them find that disgusting. But back to the main point. They found that disgusting and sort of sacrilegious, so they viewed the ingestion of the blood and the blood and wine as a, or the wine and bread as a symbolic thing. You weren't literally eating Jesus; you were figure, figuratively eating him. I mean, I don't know which one if it's better, but hey, that was them. And like Lutherans, they got rid of much of the ceremony of Catholicism, which it's just simpler ceremonies and the sermon as the focus. So, if you ever go to like a Catholic Mass and a Protestant Mass, one of the Protestants or congregational or whatever other minor Protestant sects. And by the way, when I say sex, it's sects, it's S E C T S. I don't I don't know, giggling. I did too when I first heard that one. Protestant uh, sermons and the like are much simpler compared to Catholic ones. Now, my favorite aspect of them is this the Calvinists were believed that God determined who would go to heaven from birth. So, it didn't matter how good you were in life or you thought you were in life. You were determined, you would go to heaven if God determined it from the, from the beginning of your life. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people, but to them, the whole idea of if, if you asked them the question, if, if, if God was omnipotent and knew that I was going to be bad, but he still punished me for being bad, they would say, yes, that's exactly how God works and that's, ju- and that's just and fair. He, I didn't, that is not mine. I didn't, I, that was not me. I stole it from one of my friends on Facebook. But it was just, it's a very much a thing of it made sense to them, and the way that many of them could tell was that you would have certain omens in your life. You know, good things could happen to you. What else would happen? Uh, you would get rewarded for things you acting like within God's tenets. But if you know you had a lot of bad things happen to you, that might be a sign that you aren't gonna go to you aren't gonna go to heaven. It's it probably would have sucked to be honest if you just if life dumped on you and you're like oh I'm not going to heaven. I can imagine, especially to a religiously oriented people like back then, how horrifying that might have been for some of them. Another fun fact is Calvinists generally were converts from Lutheranism, not Catholicism. So the pipeline was almost Catholic, Lutheran, then to Calvinists and other Protestant sects. Just a fun little like, oh, they're not stealing from Catholics, they're stealing from Lutherans. And they also tended to focus themselves on cities and, co- and communities. So instead of being, like, a region or they'd be like, oh, we're, we're going to be, like, the kingdom of Bohemia, which we'll get to later, is like, oh, we're just going to make that, like, we're going to make that Calvinist. No, no, no. What they would do is they'd pick, like, a city. For example, the most famous example of them is Geneva, which, if you ever heard of the city on the hill, sort of, that comes out of Calvinist belief of a holy city full of God's chosen people would, would create a holy society. Calvinism, in summary was a much more you could say, you could say fundamentals, but you can't really be fundamentals if you're if they're a new religion. They were a much more strict and god-fearing religion who were de- separate themselves out from the rest of the religious by having predetermination as their belief before we sort of close up, I just want people to understand when people talk about religion today, people are much on average much less devout. It comes out of a lot of, you know, the World Wars were big effects and just the general secular- secularization of society that comes after the Thirty Years' War. But these people were believers in God and were willing to kill and murder for it. Realizing you're not going to go to heaven could, could be a major blow. When, when we go into the religious conflict and the war that's based upon religion, I just want people to understand that these people weren't being evil for the purposes of, we gotta shut them down. It's These people genuinely believed, at least at the lowest levels. Once you get to the higher tier of, like, leaders of countries and various kings, then we can start debating on politics and stuff like that, but at lower level, that was life for them. And the overall mess that these three religions created was one of, like I said, created a lot of strife and conflict within the Holy Roman Empire that would, that festered and grew, especially as they all started growing more militant in order to defend their lands and territory. Which, while it didn't always result in violence, especially after the peace of Augsburg, it was a thing of everyone was watching everyone in case they were attacked. Which, if any of you have no history, people being defensive and militarizing did not not lead to good things. And this would eventually tear itself apart in the Thirty Years' War, which we'll get to in 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 a few episodes. So, I just want to say thank you for listening in and... Please spread the word to any friends, family, people people, people who are interested in history. I love. I, I just would love to ed, teach more people about this war that is relatively unknown. You can check me out on threedecadesoftragedy.com. I have a Facebook page of the same name, and I'm on various podcasting locations. I will post a religious map of the Holy Roman Empire on the website for those of you who want to physically see it. And I ask you to please rate and review this podcast. I would love to see your opinions and see what people think. And next time, we will be talking about the Habsburgs, the ruling dynasty of the Holy Roman Empire, and all of their eccentricities. See you next time.